0: This is The Bible Line, a live radio call-in program with Dr. Carl Broge. Dr. Broge is the senior pastor of Community Bible Church of Beaufort, South Carolina. And for the next hour, he's available to answer your questions, providing biblical insight and wisdom for everyday Christian living. Our phone lines are open, and if you have a question, you may call 525-1859 locally or outside the immediate area, call toll-free 877-924-7980. Now let's join Dr. Carl Brogi.
1: Study and show yourself approved of God as a workman who is not ashamed, accurately dividing the word of truth. Welcome this hour to The Bible Line. I've been gone for a few weeks, and so we've just had a ton of questions that have come in, and we'll get to as many as we can. But as always, we do give preference to live callers, And so if you are listening today through the internet, we broadcast at wagp.net throughout the world, or you are listening locally, you can call us at 843-525-1859. The 843 exchange is 525-1859. When you call, you can dictate your question, or if you're more comfortable, you can also just go on the air whatever you'd like to do. We also receive questions uh, through email, and the email address is tbl for the Bible line, tbl at wagp.net. All right, Rick, uh, many, many questions have come in here, so let's go ahead and we'll jump in, and if we get some live callers, we'll try to address those as well. Well,
0: we already had one caller, and they dictated their question. They say
1: they
0: they know God knows our every thought, but what does the Bible say about
1: whether or not Satan can read our mind? No, Satan is not omniscient. He cannot read your mind, so sometimes we make Satan bigger than he is. And uh, that is an exclusive ability that God gives to himself. Now, the one caveat to that is that Satan can control someone's mind. And by that, I mean through demon possession. And so to become demon possessed, there's a process and, uh, that leads up to it. And um, you have to make some choices, and it's not like, oh, you know, I'm just walking down the street, and all of a sudden the devil jumps on me and comes to live in me through one of his demons. It doesn't happen that way. So um, it's, uh, uh, in addition, I should say that the Bible teaches that one of the pieces of armor that we are to wear is the helmet of faith, and Satan does hurl fiery darts. That is, he can put vain imaginations and prompt you with those. Much of the temptation that we experience in life has nothing to do with Satan or a demon directly. Now, it is true that the Bible teaches the God of this world, small g there, uh, a reference to Satan in Second Corinthians 4.4, 4, that in Ephesians, we're told he is the one who is energizing. The Greek word is energo, He is empowering. He is, uh, we get our word energy from it, the sons of disobedience. So very often what Satan does is he has some people who are living in sheer rebellion against God, and they are basically willing to adopt a false worldview. And so they become tools like putty in Satan's hand. And so some dirty minded producer uh, creates a movie to sell a world view or to portray sexual immorality of whatever nature and uh, and he knows that through that movie uh, he is going to reach potentially millions maybe even hundreds of millions of people so um, Satan is not omniscient he 's not omnipotent he 's created and and in the Revelation, which we've been doing a verse-by-verse exposition of, one of the things that we have noticed is how God just uses even an angel to take Satan and to put him in the abyss for the thousand years. Why? I think, among other things, to, to make a very clear statement that, that, that God himself doesn't have to do it. He can just use one of his holy angels to dispose of this fallen wicked evil angel. So anyway, I hope that helps a little bit and uh give you some food
0: for thought. Very good. Eight four three five two five one eight five nine and I believe we've got a live caller. Let's go to them now. Good morning. Thanks for holding.
1: You are on the Bible line.
2: Good morning, Pastor, this is Anthony. How are you doing this
1: morning? Sir? Hey, very well. Good. Thanks for calling Anthony. Uh, what can we do to help?
2: All right. Or to make sure Rick don't walk around in your yard, the trees falling on his house, he might throw something your way.
1: Yeah, that's right. (laughs) (laughs) (laughs)
2: Question. My question is, Pastor, when Satan deceived Eve in the Garden of Eden, came to her and deceived her, and she was perfect, never had sinned, but she still had a will, a choice that she was right and wrong, correct
1: that's correct,
2: correct, okay when satan but when it came to job, Satan came to God to ask you know to go to job and see if he would turn against you, right. I'm trying to understand I wonder why or is it why or is there a reason is it something learned that why uh, uh Satan came to came to God to, to get Joel but he went directly to Eve
1: No it's a good you know question about? um you know sometimes Anthony uh people will say well you know God gave uh Eve a choice and then uh, she chose, like Adam, to rebel against God, there, that she was just like us. Isn't that the thing that we would do? No, she was not just like us. That's a very uninformed statement that people often make. She was very different from us in that she did not have a sin nature at the point. When God created her, he created her with her perfection, like he made Adam. They had no sin nature, so Satan was not appealing to the fallen nature within, as he does today with believers and unbelievers alike. Uh, but he was a- appealing to her free will, and she indeed had a choice. Had not God given Adam and Eve a choice, then of course they would be more robotic than they would be people. And part of being made in the image of God, the Imago Dei, as it's often referred to from the Latin— is that man has a free will, and you see that in Genesis 2.16. From any tree in the garden you may eat freely, but from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat, for in the day that you eat from it you shall certainly die. Now, Job's situation is very, very different. Uh, He, of course, uh, lives at a different time. He is a post-fall individual, and we're told there was a day when the sons of God, the B'nai Alachim, Uh, The term sons of God is a term that is used in the Scripture for someone who is a direct creation of God. So Adam, for instance, is called a son of God. He's a direct creation of God. Uh, When we are born again, God calls us in the epistles sons of God, and it's, of course, used generically, sons and daughters of God. Well, angels are a direct creation of God. There's Angels don't cohabitate and create little baby cherubs. So, the sons of God, and the term is used of both holy angels and fallen angels. And so, for instance, um, we read in the context determines everything in Genesis 6, the B'nai Elohim, the sons of God cohabitated with the daughters of men. So, the sons of men did not cohabitate with the daughters of men, but the sons of God, certain angels, cohabitated with the daughters of men. So here, like in Genesis 6, these are contextually referring to fallen angels. There was a day when the sons of God came to present themselves before the Lord, and Satan also came among them. The Lord said to Satan, "'From where do you come?' Then Satan answered the Lord and said, From roaming about on the earth and walking around on it. The Lord Yahweh said to Satan, Have you considered my servant Job? For there is no one like him on earth, a blameless and upright man, fearing God and turning it away from evil. Then Satan answered the Lord, Does Job fear God for nothing? Have you not made a hedge about him and his house? in all that he has on every side. You have blessed the work of his hands, and his possessions have increased in the land. But put forth your hand now, and touch all that he has, and he'll surely curse you to your face. Then the Lord said to Satan, Behold, all that he has is in your power, only do not put forth your hand on him. So Satan departed from the presence of the Lord. So here is this fallen angel Uh, who comes into the presence of God, and some of the demons are already there. And we are told that Satan has access into the heavenly realm. A day will come when God will change all of that. He'll cleanse the whole universe, burn the one that we have with fire, and uh, only perfection will once again uh, reign in every dimension. But I think this is somewhat of a unique case. Uh, Sometimes God does something once— In order to make a statement, I was uh, dialoguing last night, my wife and I, with a young woman that God opened the door to allow us to share the gospel with. And one of her objections that she had, she actually um, said that she had attended our church on one occasion. And she said, Your church seems to be against homosexuality. And I said, Well, yes, we're against homosexuality, but we're not against homosexual people. And we got into this dialogue about, you know, the rightness of it. And I said, well, if you want to know how God feels about homosexuality, I quoted a few verses, Romans 1, 1 Corinthians 6, Leviticus. But I said, God burned the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah into non-existence. Now, God doesn't destroy every Sodomite city. Sometimes he does something once in order to make a statement. And of course, the book of Jude sustains that view, uh, that they are an example of how God feels about the sin of homosexuality. So we got into a dialogue like that. And this, I think, is one of those unique examples. In other words, I don't think Satan is going to come into the heavenly realm and say, you know, Anthony down there in Buford County, uh, the only reason he serves you is because you've really blessed him. But, you know, take away all the ways that you've blessed him. We'll see if you, he'll really serve you. And, and God was really demonstrating The righteousness of Job. And God even brought, have you not considered my servant Job? Why does God want to bring that up? I think among other things, to strengthen the polemic, the argument that no one can discount, that um, the dialogue that's going to transpire in the next 40 chapters is a dialogue that is absolutely true. It's grounded uh, in the heart of a man that truly Uh, genuinely follows the Lord. And so from Job 1 all the way until Job 42, uh, God demonstrates that this is a man who really is made of the right stuff, that he's not serving God because God bought him through the blessings, but he's serving God because he's a man of integrity. And that becomes the background and the basis for the argument that's going to follow in the book of Job. So it's somewhat unique, and God has a purpose in it, and uh, just like there are other somewhat unique events uh, that you will find in other realms of biblical history. Good question. Let's go to the next. Just a little piece of trivia yeah. I learned uh-huh. a few
0: years back that uh, the the Job account actually happened shortly after the fall, at, uh, even though it's several books beyond.
1: Yeah, most people think, oh, you know, Job, he's right next to ne- uh, Esther and near Nehemiah. You know, they must have been good friends. And, they, <laughs> you know, they actually, he, he's, uh, he goes down to the time of the patriarchs and um, most Jews would tell you that he was alive when Abraham was alive. Um, In either case, uh, it is uh, early in biblical history uh, when when Job lives, and um, the reason the books are sometimes placed in the Bible the way they are, and even in the Hebrew Bible, they're placed differently, uh, the same books, but uh, they're organized for a particular purpose, but that's another sermon in itself.
0: alright two five one eight five nine. If you have a question on today's Bible line, you can also email us at tbl at net. And um, I'm looking to see if we've got a live caller standing by. We've got, yep, we do. Let's go to them now. Thanks for holding. Good morning. You're on the Bible line.
2: Good morning, Pastor.
1: Hey, thanks for calling. How can we help today?
2: Yeah, Pastor, I found out something this weekend. I wanted to get um, your take on it. Uh, I saw a video. Someone told me about it, and then I saw the video of Benny Hinn. Um, he is recanting it and uh, the uh, prosperity gospel, and he admitted that the, uh, the you know the giving uh, tactics that they use, you know, send your money, send your money now, God's gonna bless you, supernatural seeds, supernatural money, and all that stuff. He said that that was nothing but a gimmick, and he's changing his theology that he had 20 years ago, and I just wanted to get your take on that.
1: Well, um, my guess is what precipitated this, and I've not seen that video or that statement, so I won't directly comment on that because I've got to see it for myself uh, and know that... um, You know, it's not, well, I heard, da da da. Uh, With that said, my guess is, is that the genesis, the origin, and the motivation for Benny Hinn to do that is his nephew. And so his nephew, who worked for Uncle Benny, as he calls him, for many years, ended up becoming a true believer. And though he had worked for Benny and did not really understand the true gospel, Benny Hinn, of course, is a. Uh, in the Word of Faith movement, a hardcore Pentecostal, uh, he comes out of the theology of E. W. Kenyon, who studied you know metaphysical new thought teachings of Phineas Quimby. And so Benny Hinn is really a wacko in terms of his view. He, he says we can become gods and he makes some incredibly really false statements. So just lay aside the prosperity theology for a moment. The fact is, is that his theology in so many other areas, just in terms of the basic simple plan of salvation, is not there. It's kind of like Joel Osteen. They use the same words, oh, you're here today, just invite Jesus into your heart, and, you know, he'll give this little statement like he does, and you can be born again, and and, but he's using the same words, but he's using a different dictionary in which to define those words. And so Joel Osteen, like Benny Hinn, is preaching another Jesus. So even if because of his nephew, he is now coming out in defense, because you see what's happening is there's a movie that is being produced, and it's almost finished, but a number of the trailers and Previews are already on the internet from someone who worked for Uncle Benny for a couple of decades and basically saying what a scam artist he is, how much wickedness they do in terms of um, setting up quote unquote healings. And he goes through all the logistics of what Benny Hinn has so much to repent of. Forget just his thing on prosperity theology. Let's talk about becoming gods. Let's talk about how he manipulates healing in audiences, how they have staged things. And it's well documented and it's going to come out in this film and it's going to destroy him, at least for those who have ears to hear and eyes to see. So, um, even if he came out in this video, as you say, and says we are wrong and now I'm repenting of it, he's got a whole lot more to repent of than just the whole concept of prosperity theology. But I appreciate the question and the comment. I'll I'll have to follow up on that. And if you have a link to that uh, YouTube video, I'm assuming maybe it's on YouTube, send it to Rick, and Rick will get it to me. Rick, how do they get videos like that to you? Just send
0: it to rick at wagp.net, whatever the link is.
1: All right. All right, we've got
0: another live caller. Let's go to them now. Thanks for holding. Good morning. You're on the Bible line.
1: Good morning, gentlemen. Hey, thanks for calling. How can we help today, my brother?
3: Yes. My, I was listening to one of your messages on my on the Social Status app, and you were talking about uh, how you know, we're, not, we're saved by grace and faith, right?
1: Talk, talk. I'm, talk, I'm, I'm sorry. Let me interrupt you for say just saying. a second. Let me interrupt you for a second. Hello. 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 Let me interrupt you for a second. Talk a little more directly into the phone because we're only getting about half of what you're saying. Speak directly into I the mouthpiece and make sure. It, my hand either. There you go. Go ahead. On my phone. Now you're good. Go ahead. You hear me now? Yes. 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 Yeah, so start, start your question. You,
3: though, on My phone.
1: Go ahead, start your question over again, all right? And don't put it on speakerphone okay. and speak directly uh, into the I mouthpiece. I was listening to,
3: to one of your messages on uh, Search Your Scriptures app. We are teaching about, you know, you're saved by grace, not through faith. And then you were saying that without holiness, no one would see the Lord. So I thought you're going to heaven based on Christ's sacrifice alone, not on your holy living, because then that means you're by works. But then... Or what degree or consistency do I have to maintain to, to I to determine I'm going to see the Lord? Even though you said that different people uh, pursue holiness at different levels, some some pursue more than others. So, but then you say, well, what was I going to know? see the Lord. So, who which one determines who won't, who going to see the Lord? The one who pursues more the holiness, or the one who less pursues less the holiness.
1: It's a great Lord, question. Thought,
3: Once you go to heaven, based on yeah. Christ's sacrifice alone. Yeah. I not supposed, supposed to live holy, but your holy living doesn't determine who you're going to see the Lord. I thought Christ's sacrifice alone determines that you're going to see the Lord. because He paid your price. He's your ticket to heaven.
1: Great. Great question. Let me see if I can respond to it. Uh, it is true that we're saved by grace through faith, technically, and I don't know what sermon you were listening to. We're not saved by faith. We're saved by grace through faith. It's the death of Jesus, the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ, not our faith that saves us. Faith is simply the channel that appropriates the benefits of what Jesus did on his cross. Now, um, you're referencing the book of Hebrews, the 12th chapter, and it says, Pursue pursue peace with all men and the sanctification without which no one will see the Lord. Um, So the writer of the Hebrews, if you know this chapter, and by the way, I've preached the whole book of Hebrews, so you might want to go to the Search the Scriptures app, and maybe this is the sermon you're listening to, or maybe I'm just referencing this verse, and listen to the entire message. Uh, What the writer to the Hebrews is doing here in the applicational section of the book of Hebrews is he's dealing with the fruit of conversion, not the root of conversion, Much like James, who says, faith without works is dead. Uh, Much like the Lord Jesus, where he says, you will know them by their fruits. Much like Jesus in John 5, where he speaks of uh, two kinds of resurrections. Because here's the thing, if any man is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new and so Jesus deals with those who have what we would call a spurious faith. They, they say one thing with their mouth, but their life denies it, much like Titus 1.15. They profess to know God, but by their deeds, by their works, they deny him, and that's what the writer to the Hebrews is doing. So it is true there are degrees of sanctification, and certainly there are some Christians who grow further in their relationship with the Lord than others because of personal, daily decisions that they make. But with that said, in terms of the broad spectrum, the general principle in Scripture is that if you are born again, you will give evidence of that. So do not marvel at this, Jesus said, for an hour is coming in which all who are in the tombs will hear his voice. Uh, and they'll come forth, those who did the good deeds to a resurrection of life, those who did the uh, evil deeds to a resurrection of judgment. Now, is Jesus teaching salvation by works? Not at all. He's just taught salvation by grace alone. He just said a couple of verses before that, truly, truly, I say to you, he who hears my word and believes him who sent me has right now, present tense, you can't lose something that's eternal. Eternal life is given the moment you believe. Who believes in him who sent me has right now eternal life and does not come into judgment, but has passed out of death into life. And so Jesus has affirmed that you're saved by grace through faith and not by human merit. But with that said, he can say in the end there's two kinds of resurrection. Those who did the good deeds is actually italicized, but it's implied in the Greek. Those who did the good, those who lived a good lifestyle, giving evidence of conversion, and those who did the bad. Now, you say, well, there are pagans who live a good lifestyle. Yeah, for the glory of self and not for the glory of God. So the writer of the Hebrews is saying, look, if you don't have a heart that pursues holiness, you don't have genuine conversion. He's saying the same thing that the Apostle Paul says in Romans 2. He's saying the same thing that the Apostle James says in James 2. He's saying the same thing that Jesus says in the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew 7, that good works are not the root, but they are the fruit of conversion. Now, some people, they've got fruit, but it looks more like dry raisins rather than luscious grapes. And I'm sure when we get to heaven, there's some people that we expect to be there, and they won't be there. Because they had a spurious confession, and there might be other people you thought, oh, they'll never make it. They seemed to deny Christ by their works, and you may see them in heaven because they had genuine faith. They just hadn't grown that much, and they were very inconsistent. So um, it's important, you know, the writer um, that when Paul writes in 2 Corinthians, because the Corinthians were, you know, probably the most carnal church in the New Testament— and he says, test yourself to see if you be of the faith. Peter will write, make sure your election and calling is for certain. In other words, make sure that you have genuine faith in the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ. Because if you do, if the root is there, the fruit will be there as well. Great question. Let's go to the next.
0: alright two five one eight five nine. if you have a question. And we had one dictated uh, while you were out a couple of weeks ago. This person would like to know, is there anything wrong with the worship group Hillsongs Theology?
1: I would say so. We won't use their, um, their songs at Community Bible Church. I think maybe we did when they first came online, a few of them. But now I wouldn't want to give any credence to them. Uh, they, too, are part of the Word of Faith movement um, on their own website. You know, they talk about how we can live healthy and blessed lives. It's all prosperity theology. Brian Houston, uh, in his book, You Need More Money, he promotes the whole prosperity theology gospel. So right there, they're erroneous. Um, number two, they promote a role for women that's erroneous, women pastors, etc. cetera. Uh, number three, um, uh, Pastor Carl Lentz, who was in an interview with Katie Kirk. She's no longer at CBS, but, you know, she's in YouTube and a number of different news medias that she promotes herself or is employed. I shouldn't say promote herself. She's just working. Uh, but when he's confronted directly on homosexuality and gay marriage, uh, he refuses to take a position. Uh, And it goes down from there. Some are saying that some of their leadership is now denying the deity of Christ. I don't know. I'm not convinced that they've gone that far. But clearly they have denied the fact that Jesus is the only way to God and that apart from faith in him that you um, can potentially reach God. That's false there is salvation in no one else. There is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. So here Satan is so slick. He's so slick. They can produce what you might think is a wonderful song. And yet, so you start singing and say, I love Hillsong. And then he ropes you in to get to know Hillsong so that maybe potentially you will adopt some of their false teaching. So I wouldn't use them at Community Bible Church. Pastor Matt would never use them. Uh, They are um, really just off on a number of different things. They originally came out of the Assemblies of God movement, which, you know, again, there's good godly people in the Assemblies of God movement. I'm not discounting that. We actually even support an Assemblies of God missionary uh, who works in a closed country of the world, and that's why we support him. Because one, it's very difficult to be in that country, and and two, he doesn't adopt all the AOG doctrine. He believes, for instance, in the doctrine of eternal security, uh, assemblies that God does not uh, officially. Uh, but he does. And there's always exceptions to the rule. But by the time you add up the prosperity theology and women pastors and their unwillingness to take a stance on the issue of homosexuality, that is enough for me to totally discount them as a group that I want to support. Because listen, uh, whether you know it or not, we don't put the license up there every week. and we, we never put it up there. I said, we don't need to put that license up there. Just take it off. I said that 15 years ago. 20 years ago maybe, but every church has to buy a license for certain songs that they play. Some are public domain. It doesn't cost you everything, but I don't know how often Matt does it, but he has to, our pastor of worship, he has to document how many times we use a particular song, and so you pay a licensing fee based on the size of your church. It goes into this general slush fund, and so if you use something by Sovereign Grace, and you used it five times, and then a portion of that you know, $1,500 a year you pay for a church our size um, for that licensing fee, a portion of it goes to Sovereign Grace. And so I don't want to give any money to whole song. an organization that is promoting false theology in so many different realms. Even if they came up with a good song, I don't want to put money in their pocket to promote what is definitively wrong and contrary to Scripture. So I do not support them.
0: 843-525-1859. If you have a question on today's Bible line, and Alicia from Greenville writes, I want to thank you for the great sermon on Revelation 20, verses 7 to 10. The entire study was fascinating and really cleared up a lot of confusion regarding Christ's millennial reign. A lot of it's new to me, so I've been rereading my notes and the Scripture references, and that's led to some more questions. One, during the thousand-year reign, there will be death. Those who were born during this time and received Christ, will they die too? If so, when will they be resurrected? And where do they go in the meantime, does Scripture tell us? Two, at the end of the, of the thousand-year reign, it looks like after the rebellion, there is a final judgment, which is for the dead. But what about believers who are in their natural bodies who didn't take part in the final rebellion? What happens to them? I realize maybe this isn't spelled out so clearly in Scripture, and at least we know God got it figured out. Just wondering if there's any light you can shed on this. Thank you again for the time and work you put into this sermon. It really brought a lot of Old Testament Scripture together for me.
1: Well, it's it's a great question, and there are some of these issues that are not directly addressed in the Revelation itself that is creating these questions, which tells me you're really thinking, which I appreciate that. And and you may be listening to us today. I'm assuming this person, uh, I know this person, Alicia. She's a member of our church in Graniteville, South Carolina. So we have a branch in Aiken County. And so if you know anyone who's even in the Augusta area, uh, it's only like a 15-minute drive from the Augusta area or from Aiken. It's about a 15-minute drive. So we're in Graniteville. It's kind of equidistance between Augusta and, and Aiken. It's in Aiken County. And so we have a, a church there where we live stream and we bring on pastoral care. So small ad for that. But with that said, lifespans are radically changed during the time of the reign of Messiah on the earth. Isaiah the prophet will say in the sixty-fifth chapter, for as the days of a tree, so shall be the days of my people. Uh, trees live a long time, so to speak. And so will God's people. They will live a long long time uh, during the reign of Messiah. In Isaiah 65:20 it says no longer will there be an infant who lives but a few days or an old man who does not live out his days for the youth will die at the age of 100. The youth will die at the age of 100. And the one who does not reach the age of 100 will thought to be accursed. So what's going on? Well, Remember, and this is a powerful argument as I brought out for a pre-tribulational rapture. You have amillennialists today who just say there is no millennium. The next event is Jesus comes back. Revelation all the way through the 18th chapter is basically historical. It's not literal. It's not going to actually happen or it has happened. Um, and they spiritualize the whole thing because the, the events that are described in the revelation have never happened in human history. You know, there have never been times in human history where, you know, the the oceans and the waters are turned to blood and things like that. Um, And so you have to spiritualize the whole book. Um, But they do that because of their replacement theology that the church is the new Israel and God's no longer down with the people of Israel. But if you believe that Messiah is going to come first for the church and then to the earth, and rule and reign for a thousand years. And the length of the millennium is found in the New Testament. The concept of the kingdom is found in the Old Testament, where God speaks, like the two texts I just read from Isaiah 65, when Messiah will literally rule upon the earth. Uh, Zechariah, the 14th chapter, and the opening verses, says that the Messiah will step on the Mount of Olives. His feet will literally be planted on the Mount of Olives. At his return. Well, when that happens, um, he is going to rule and reign for a thousand years. That has never happened where he comes back from heaven. He plants his feet on the Mount of Olives, but that's what even the angels of God affirmed there in Acts chapter one at the Ascension. He's coming back in the same way he left. So uh, what happens is, think about this. If the church is first raptured, we're caught up, and then seven plus years, and I say plus years because there's a space of time, weeks, days, maybe months, but very, very short because Jesus said it happens all very quickly, space of time between the time the church is removed and this one world leader comes on the scene. And from the time he signs a covenant with Israel, a seven-year clock begins that will result in the second coming. So if we are taken out and we are in resurrected bodies, first he comes for his church, then he comes back with his church. If, for the sake of argument, the catching up, rapto, harpazo, everyone believes in the rapture, whether you know it or not. The word just means to be caught up. We shall all be caught up. We're going to be transformed. But from the Latin Bible, we get the word rapture. So it's not like people don't believe in the rapture who say they don't. They believe in the rapture. The issue is an issue of timing. But there are some Christians who are what we call post tribulational premillennial. They say that is Jesus comes at the end of the tribulation for his church, and then we enter into the millennium. So what happens? They say, well we go up and then we make a U turn down to earth. Well the challenge is is that at the end of the thousand years there are people who enter in at the end of the thousand years are people who um, respond to a rebellion that Satan incites Satan is Revelation chapter twenty uh, covers, and I went through this and if you're new to the Bible line. All the messages you can find at searchthescriptures.org or at communitybiblechurch.us. But we are told then when the thousand years are completed, Satan will be released from his prison and will come out to deceive the nations which are in the four corners of the earth. And so he's going to incite this war against God's Messiah. This is not the Battle of Armageddon. This happens at the end of the thousand years. The Battle of Armageddon happens at the end of the seven-year tribulation. And, of course, the Lord God sends fire down from earth before the first shot is put out, and they're they're destroyed, and the devil's cast then into the lake of fire. And then the great white throne judgment happens. That's the next text we're going to examine, and all unbelievers of all time are cast into the lake of fire. So here's the challenge. If a post-tribulational rapture is true, and we come back in glorified bodies, we go up, make a U-turn, come back in glorified bodies— can we sin? No, we can't sin. When we see him, we'll be like him. We'll never be able to sin again. So who will then be able to rebel against the Messiah at the end of the thousand years? So the post-tribulation has a real problem. So what he has to do, if he believes in a literal millennium, is he has to have unbelievers entering the millennial reign of the Messiah. But Jesus said, unless you are born again, you cannot enter the kingdom of God. The kingdom of God is used of the literal thousand-year reign kingdom, but it's also used of, you know, just God's sovereign rule in general, and even of heaven, a place we call heaven. And that's a subject we're going to explore many sermons on when we come to Revelation chapters 21 and 22. So um, they have to have unbelievers who have children and grandchildren and great-grandchildren during this extended period of time when the earth is repopulated uh, who enter the kingdom, And they are the people. Well, Christ is so clear in the kingdom parables in Matthew 13 and other places that he's going to separate the believers from the unbelievers. And so one of the things I went through in that sermon is that there are actually four judgments that are in the future. There's the judgment seat of Christ that happens for Christians in heaven. There's the judgment of Israel, where God separates believing Israel from unbelieving Israel. There's the judgment of the nations. And so Jesus speaks of the sheep and the goat that are separated um, based on a third group, the way they treated the Jews, my brethren, and then there's the great white throne judgment. So there are no unbelievers who enter the kingdom. So here's what happens. The church goes up, the seven-year tribulation period Unfolds. Many of those believers will lose their lives. They are clearly, Revelation 20, resurrected at the second coming of Christ, along with all the Old Testament saints. So in resurrection bodies entering the millennium, you have church saints who have been resurrected. You have Old Testament saints who are resurrected at the end of the seven years, and tribulation saints who are resurrected, who died during the tribulation. But then there's a fourth group who survived the tribulation, Jew and Gentile alike, and And they enter into the kingdom in their natural bodies. And yes, the lifespans are vastly extended. Jesus said, Isaiah said, as for the days of my people will be like a tree. Um, If a man only lives to be 100 years, Isaiah said, he's considered cursed. So lifespans will be very, very long. And so I won't be able to have children in a resurrected body we are like the angels. We don't become angels, but we're like the angels and that we're neither married nor given in marriage. And we don't have children. Angels don't marry other angels and have little cherubs like the Hallmark cards show. It's not like that at all. And so um, during this thousand years, people who enter in their natural bodies will have children, grandchildren, great-grandchildren, and the earth is going to be repopulated. Masses of people are going to be born during that time. There'll there'll be no natural disasters. There'll be no wars, famines, and the things that, you know, reduce the population from time to time across the world. There'll be none of that. So the world will be quickly populated. And just like today, because I'm a Christian, doesn't automatically make my children and grandchildren Christians. They each have to make a personal decision. God has children. God has no grandchildren. And so during the tribulation period, there will be many people who will not receive the Lord. And one of the functions, we go through six reasons why God even has the millennial reign of Messiah. Someone asked that question in graniteville in our graniteville campus the last time i was there and they said well why doesn't jesus just come back and just take us all to heaven and end it why even have the millennial reign and i go through six reasons for it but one of the reasons is to show really even without the devil present and without him in his fallen imps being able to lure people and shoot fiery darts at them where we began this Bible line. Without that power and authority at all, we will see really how depraved and fallen man is by nature because of our sin in and with Adam. You say, why would not someone want to receive Jesus with him actually ruling and reigning on the earth? Well, they didn't respond to him the first time and even in his glorified body, ruling from the Temple Mount there in Jerusalem, many will not respond the second time. And these are the people who will rebel. Now, uh, will there be death amongst believers during the millennium? Could be, you know, a believer who enters his, in the millennial reign in his natural body will still have the capacity that I have today. Every day I have to make choices for holiness or for ungodliness. I have to make a day-by-day, moment-by-moment decision. And those whom the Lord loves, he disciplines. And if you choose sin that warrants God's discipline, he's going to take you to the woodshed. And he'll take some believers to the woodshed during the millennium. And just like today, some people die sooner than God wants them to. First Corinthians eleven thirty. 30. 1 John five sixteen. There's a sin that leads on to physical death that John speaks of. There will be some believers, no doubt, that will come under severe chastisement, and the Lord will take them out. But I'm sure there will be unbelievers who, because of their constant rebellion, because Messiah will rule with a rod of iron, these are the children of believers who enter into the millennial reign. Some of them will be considered cursed because they only live 100 years. You, you see someone who's 100 years today, you say, man, they're an old person. You won't be lying to say, he, he's just a youth. He's only 100. That will be a true statement during that day when are they resurrected? Well, the scripture doesn't say. Uh, So, there are a couple positions. I can tell you one, and I'm coming to this, so you're kind of getting ahead of me in my sermon, but I will address this. But since we know flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, that this mortality must put on immortality, this which is perishable must put on the imperishable, then every person is going to have a resurrected body in the coming kingdom. So, the assumption, though, he doesn't address it, Uh, in the Revelation is that these, at the end of the millennial reign, who are believers, will at that point receive their resurrected body before God creates the new heavens and the new earth. Just like unbelievers, and this issue is addressed, um, who survive the thousand-year tribulation but are lost, they too, at the great white throne judgment, will receive their resurrection bodies where they will be cast forever and ever into the lake of fire. Great question. Let's go next. And by the way, I've got another sermon to follow on this, so hold on to your seat. But I appreciate that Graniteville member asking that question. If you live in the Graniteville area or North Augusta or Aiken area and you want to find out more, go to communitybiblechurch.us and you can click on the Aiken campus and it will give you all the information you need as to our 11 o'clock service times on that particular spot. All
0: right. Charlie from Portal, Georgia writes, what happens to those who have never heard about salvation?
1: By the way, Charlie from Portal, Georgia. Where's Portal, Georgia? Do you know where well, that is? Well, it's in
0: Bullock County, just a stone's throw from Metter.
1: Okay. Well, thanks. That really helps me. I had you to know, look that up. Metter. <laughs> oh, <is> that, uh, <laughs> like I know Statesboro. where Metter is. in <laughs> Bullock County. <laughs> yes. You know, like I know where that is. So. Uh, you know, you've
0: heard of Statesboro. Of course. Yeah, Statesboro know, is just the other side of
1: Statesboro. And sometimes for whatever it is with, you know, FM and the leaves down, and sometimes they can get us in Statesboro. Mm-hmm. And they have. I've had people write. Me. Yeah, I got you in Statesboro today. And anyway, Charlie, appreciate the question. I have a book, Are the Unevangelized Really Lost? And so if you want to um, write us with an address, I'll send you a free copy. Are the Unevangelized Really Lost? It's an important question. And the answer is yes, they are. Whoever believes in him has life. Whoever does not believe The wrath of God abides on him. The wrath is already abiding on those of the unbelievers. That's why Jesus said, The Son of Man did not come into the world to judge but that the world might be saved. He who believes in him is not judged. He who does not believe is judged already. He's condemned already. So it's not like there's this future judgment where God is going to discern, oh, yeah, you know, uh, this guy, he's not worthy of heaven and this guy is not. No, the judgment has already been made. The only future judgments is that of separation into that expression of wrath that will come because just like heaven's not the same for every believer— nor is hell the same for every unbeliever. It's a terrible place for anyone who goes there. And so in general terms, it's described as a place of horror for every resident. But it's not the same. In the perfect justice of God, he will uh, delineate his punishment accordingly. So Hitler may receive a different degree of eternal wrath and the person who dies is a lost person from a church pew. But it will be just and it will be perfect expression of who God is. But here's the uh, short answer, because sometimes unbelievers ask this question, well, doesn't it seem unfair that God would send someone to hell for having never believed in a Savior in whom he has never heard? And the answer is, God doesn't send him to hell for having never believed in a Savior whom he has never heard. He sends him to hell on a different basis. You see, uh, that's the broad basis, but it's what leads up to that is what I'm really trying to say. See, all men have the benefit of general revelation that comes through both the creation and through the conscience. No one can say is there a God, does God exist, because his invisible attributes, his eternal power and divine nature are clearly seen through what he has created so that men are without excuse. So men have the creation. That's why biblically there are no atheists. Now, a man may say he is, but he's not. Secondly, he has the benefit of conscience. Uh, The Gentiles not having the law are law unto themselves so that they show the work of the law written into their hearts, Paul says in Romans 2.15, their conscience either defending them or accusing them. So my friend who has served for 25 years in Papua New Guinea when he went there to the Arumba people, I mean, these are hardcore natives in loincloths. And yet he said, Carl, what's so interesting? You know, we got there, they had never heard the name of Jesus, never seen a Bible, never heard the Ten Commandments. And yet there was a certain moral code within that group of people. It was wrong to murder someone. It was wrong to take your neighbor's wife. It was wrong to steal your neighbor's goods. Where did they get that moral code? The law of God was written into their hearts. So if a man says, I know there's a God. I see him in creation. I feel him in conscience. I see him even in God's care, which would be another expression. He causes the rain to fall on the righteous and the unrighteous. I want to know this God, then the Bible teaches light responded to brings more light. But if a man says, I don't care that there's a God, I don't want to acknowledge him. They refuse to give thanks or praise. That's America. Then God gives them over first to sensuality, then to homosexuality, and then to a depraved mind. Yeah, I heard a commentator coming in today, Fox News, and they said, you know, it used to be that if you were conservative or liberal and you got along with each other, you know, and they were asking this, uh, Democrat candidate for president, you know, what's happening. And she was giving all these secular explanations. I'll tell you what's happening. God is giving the nation over to depraved mind. And so you have some of these hardcore liberals today. And when I say liberal, I'm not just talking about politically, I'm talking about morally and Many times there is a match, but not totally. There are Republicans that are morally liberal, and there are Democrats who tend to be morally liberal. They're in favor of the murder of little babies. They're in favor of promoting a wicked, evil lifestyle that God calls an abomination. That's real liberal theology. What is happening, the reason these two groups more and more are becoming so opposed and so hateful, can't even get along with one another anymore, is because God is giving our nation over to a depraved mind, a reprobate mind, you could render it, an upside down mind, the Slavic translations put it, where you call good evil and evil good. You know, you got this father right now who has been denied rights to visit his 7-year-old child because the 7-year-old says that they are trans uh that she, she um he wants to be a girl and the mother is affirming this and the mother wants to have some you know start the whole process that they go through and the dad is like totally opposed to it and so now the dad is viewed as a bad parent, you talk about an upside down mind. You talk about moral wickedness. You talk about child abuse. You talk about these parents who, you know, take these little boys and dress them up in girls' clothes. And they are these little children, innocent little children who are being told, well, maybe you boy are really a girl. Maybe I am. Children don't know better. They, they don't know what to eat and when to go to sleep, and they need parental guidance. And when you got parents who are, you know, bringing their children to a library to listen to some drag queen tell some kind of a story, that is wicked beyond wicked beyond evil. And I'm telling you, Jesus said it would be better for someone to have a millstone tied around their neck and drown in the deepest sea than to cause one of these little ones to stumble. Uh, But that's the day that we are living in. It's a day of wickedness. So if a man says, "Ah, I don't care that there's a God, no praise, no thanks, God gives them over to a darkened mind. Professing to be wise, Paul will write, they become fools. They exchange the glory of the incorruptible God for an image, and they worship and serve the creation. Ah, the green movement. You know, there are people, who's their God, the green God? They worship the creation rather than the creator who is blessed forever oh, we need to worship the creation. Yeah, there's Sunday school material that's being produced now for evangelical churches that's green in nature. Look, some of the things that they're uh, promoting and they're predicting is going to happen to the earth, I know are never going to happen. Why? Because Genesis tells me they're never going to happen. God tells me there's going to be food production and seasons until the end of time. And I'd rather believe what God says, Not, not to say that we shouldn't take care of the creation. We should, but we don't worship it. And so that's become the new religion in America, and it's the religion of uh, many politicians in our country. And so, if a man, a woman will not respond to the most general of all revelation, why would God entrust more revelation to him? He won't. God practices what he preaches. Jesus said, "There's a time when you shouldn't entrust the gospel to someone." Wait a minute, you said to preach to everyone. Yeah, but here's a here's an exception. You don't cash your pearl before swine when there's such utter hatred and disdain for the things of God, you withhold the gospel pearl. Well, God sometimes withholds the gospel pearl. So some men never hear the plan of salvation for the simple reason they don't want to hear it. They're not willing to respond to what God has shown them. So why should God give them any more? But there's the Arumba people. They're responding to general revelation, specific revelation. So God moves in the heart of a young man And he was just a young guy at the time when I met him, and he was newly married and married four or five years, had a couple small children. And they're moving halfway across the world to Papua New Guinea to reach the Arumba people so that they could start an indigenous church. And that's what they have today by the grace and mercy of God. God saw their openness, and so God moved in the hearts of those people. Well, I think we're out of time, Rick. A perfectly good hour has drifted away. But God willing, we will be back on another Tuesday. The Bible line is posted later on in the day at wagp.net, where you can download it and uh, listen to the message again. Thanks so much for being with us today.